Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and arrive at episode number 288. You know, as they say, the story changes, but the ending stays the same. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? I'm tired. Having a good 4th of July weekend? <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. I am also tired and having a not bad 4th of July weekend. <laughs> I'm not tired. I'm not having a bad one either. Why aren't you tired? I don't know. Just not. It's been a pretty... Well, the a rainy weekend means a couch-bound weekend usually for me, <laughs> so... <laughs> haven't been doing much. I spent Friday morning cleaning the gutters. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Anticipating all the rain we were supposed to have this weekend that That's we some, didn't really get. We got a lot overnight. Well, it was raining pretty. It heavy wasn't overnight. near. It wasn't, it wasn't near as near bad the as they were no, making no. it sound. We did certainly never had any flash floods or anything like that. But uh, no, today we went to uh, my parents and we went and had dinner. They they cooked out for us and we had uh, fireworks. So we just been doing fireworks almost all afternoon because of course I work tomorrow night. Keith does too, and so we won't be able to enjoy the fourth. Um, but the my sister and her kids. My mom and dad and then us, my family, went over there. And we did day works, you know, pretty much all early evening. And then in the evening we went and did the night stuff. Cody doesn't like the fireworks. Yeah, I wondered about that. You posted something about that on uh, Facebook. (laughs) Although that picture was taken weeks and weeks ago. But, yeah, he's not a big fan of the fireworks, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. And uh, it looks like somebody, the block over, is having quite the big party and uh, shooting off really big fireworks. Does he hide? He just sticks really close to us, uh, and like we went to take him out to go to the bathroom, and he went out there. Some went off, and he turned around and came right back inside. <laughs> like, nope, I'm done with this. Nope. <laughs> he feels pretty safe inside. It's just going outside to go to the bathroom that he doesn't like. So we haven't done much Fourth of July stuff. Well, I'm tired because we, uh, we we actually like you said, kind of a rainy day. We had TV time on the couch today, which was kind of nice. We watched Independence Day, and then uh, we. <coughs> Fittingly. Fittingly. And then uh, went and ran some errands and then came back and watched uh, Live Free or Die Hard, continuing with our 4th of July movie celebration. And then um, I just said we've had both grandkids this weekend, so I'm exhausted. <laughs> That's exhausting. I cannot, I cannot keep up with them. I watched uh, Steve Jobs. How was that? It was good. <laughs> He's dead. How did you watch him? <laughs> well, it was kind of creepy. <laughs> Webcam in the coffin. Oh, I think I'm going to do that. I want a webcam in my coffin so you guys can watch me decompose. The movie's good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for just steering us away from that. <laughs> uh, it's it's done completely different than I expected. Uh, I'm just kidding. I plan to live forever. It's uh, it's tent pulled. In that case, I'm not watching. <laughs> help! Help! Let me out of this box. <laughs> Uh, it's tent-pulled around three different product announcements. The first being the Mac, the second being the Next, and the third being the iMac. I highly recommend it. I watched, uh, I just finished the Let's Infiltrate, the uh, the bounty hunter group that's going to try and assassinate Chal- Chancellor Palpatine story arc from Clone Wars. Oh. So I finished all of those. I finished Clone Wars. Me too. <laughs> We're done. Sorry. Well, uh, <laughs> done with all the fully produced episodes. Yeah, yeah. 
This, this, this doesn't come out until Tuesday. Have you seen that one? Uh-huh. The, oh, the In-Laws, which is one of my favorite movies, and they're releasing a Criterion edition, and now I'm kind of all excited and thinking that I may actually need to upgrade, even though I already own it. Uh, it's Peter Falk and Alan Alda. Alan Alda is a dentist, and their kids are getting married, but uh, Peter Falk's character is out of the country most of the time, and they, they just you know, they haven't had a chance to meet until the weekend of the wedding. And Peter Falk shows up at the office and asks him for a favor that apparently he needs him to go. He says, what do you need? He says, I need you to go into my office and uh, break into my safe. <laughs> because there's a couple of guys standing outside that may or may not need to see me with this black bag, and I need what's in the... I just, I just need it. <laughs> it's industrial espionage kind of stuff. As it unspools, it turns out that Peter Falk may or may not be in the employee of the CIA and may or may not, on the orders of the CIA, have instigated and committed a robbery against the U.S. Treasury and stole a bunch of bank plates. <laughs> Alan Arkin finds all this out as people are shooting at him through the movie. But I made Mel watch it, and she enjoyed it. So I watched um, Zootopia this week. We so did we. What did you guys think? That's cute. It's that was good. good. It's yeah, one of the better Disney films, I think. <clears throat> I also watched Richard the Third, the uh, the Lawrence Olivier uh, helmed one. Were you inspired a little bit? Uh, yeah, I this was. Week? I was very much so because um, I hadn't seen Richard the Third probably since I was in high school, and this is the one we watched. But I remember sleeping through <laughs> most of it. So I thought, well, this is the only one that was available streaming anywhere. I thought, well. I was riveted to it. It's really, really good. I really, oh if, gosh, if, good. if it's you, got Patrick Troughton in it too. Really? Yeah, he plays. Uh, Has he Lord, got a larger part in it than no, Sinbad? No, nope, it's a much smaller <laughs> than Sinbad. He's Lord Terrell. He's the one that uh, knocks off uh, Duke of Buckingham. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched a uh, documentary called um, "The Secrets," uh, Richard the Third, and it's it, it chronicles the unearthing of Richard's remains in the parking lot <laughs> underneath the parking lot it is quite interesting and then uh, doing all the carbon dating going through and verifying that it's actually Richard so it was, it was, that was interesting too what else did I watch? you watched lots of stuff I watched, watched uh, Billy Connolly's Route 66 which I think I've said it on the new on the uh, podcast before you um, love Billy Connolly I do love Billy Connolly my one of my bucket list items is to go to Chicago and drive the Route 66 as much as you still can, uh, all the way to the Santa Monica Pier, and uh, that's what Billy does. He starts in Colorado and he rides a uh, three-wheeled uh, motorcycle, and uh, he drives it all the way down. And he, you know, they pick a few different locations to stop on the way and see, and it's quite interesting. It's a, it's on Acorn TV, and it's a five-part or is it four-part? I think it's five-part uh, series. And it basically follows him all the way from Chicago to Santa Monica. The other thing I did was I finished uh, the Early Adventures second Doctor story, The Black Hole. I started the second season of The Leftovers. Finally. That's the one where everybody gets... Yeah. It's just as weird raptured. as it ever was. <laughs> and we're almost done with season four of Orphan Black. we got two more episodes to go. We've been mainlining oh, that. Oh, you've been blowing through that. Yeah. Let's move on to news. Okay. Uh, Lethbridge Stewart line announced the next book because uh, I just blanked on the title of the one that just came out. Showstoppers. Showstoppers. Showstoppers is out now, so we're looking now ahead towards book three, which is The Grandfather Infestation, written by John Peel. For those who need to know who that name is, he is a, he has written a number of 
Doctor Who novels, including Time Worm, Time Worm Genesis. Uh, Which I have read. A Virgin Missing Adventure Evolution. A couple of Eighth Doctor Adventures, including The War of the Daleks and Legacy of the Daleks. And a couple of uh, reference books. And he did a number of Target novelizations. So, he's returning to the realm of Doctor Who. I have a synopsis. Do you want to hear it? Sure. The late 1960s and pirate radio is at its height. Something, in the stir- something stirs in the depths of the North Sea, and for Radio Crossbones, that means bad news. Pir- uh, Lethbridge Stewart and his newly assembled 5th Operational Corps are called in to investigate after the pirate radio station is mysteriously taken off the air, and a nuclear submarine is lost with all hands. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> You're rating it again before you've read it? No, I'm giving it a... That sounds like a surprise. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm already... Wait, that's either got to be the way we rate things, or it's got to be the way we do a cliffhanger on things. You can't have it both ways. So. I, I, I'm, I'm already curious to know how a pirate radio station is impacting a, a nuclear submarine disappearance. I love that it's a pirate radio station, and it's called Crossbones. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> The cover looks like something could be returning also. Yeah, I, I, I saw it, and I stared at it, and stared at it, and stared at it, and then decided I didn't want to know <laughs> All right, we'll what there. maybe it was. <laughs> that way you could be surprised if it is what... <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Realistically, from that, it could be several things. Yeah. Um, it's inspired somewhat by the plant horror stories made popular by the likes of John Wyndham. Uh author who wrote the sequel to Day of the Triffids gave a little uh, a little snippet. Wait, there's a sequel to Day of the Triffids? Written by Simon Clark. I did not know that. Who wrote the foreword to this book. So, so that's uh, coming out in this month, July. So Showstoppers was the June book. Apparently. And Apparently we got, technically we got when did Moonblink come out? Wasn't that technically, was that that was in, in April? End of May. May. Oh, it was yeah. Well, it, it was, it was a delayed. Yeah. It was a de- delayed release. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it end of May though? I thought so. Maybe mid May. Mid May, I think. It didn't seem like it was that long ago. We didn't review it too long ago, and we reviewed it a week or so after. So, anyways, that's that bit of news. Looking that's, forward to having that one yeah. on the schedule. Uh, and then some convention news. I don't know why I said that so weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're more tired than you think you Maybe. are. Maybe. I think I started to say con news and decided to say convention and that's why Some convention news. Uh, Time Eddie has announced that they're going to attempt the Guinness World Record for largest gathering of people dressed as Doctor Who characters. Yay! So get your costumes ready. Uh, October 14th through 16th. So, the number they need to set, they need to break is trying to pull it up here uh where'd it go i thought surprisingly low quite honestly when i read that 493 is that a world record or is that a guinness a world, world record, record. uh and the previous record was set in march in mexico city i appreciate their what well, was for the doctor who tour yeah. i remember when they did yeah. i appreciate their ambition and their i wonder if it's so low because Mexico was the first one to even try it. You know, yeah, this, is the, this is the second. Like, is, is, probably, is it a new thing? There's probably been conventions that have had well more than that. I mean, I think we've seen more than that at Gallifrey the year that we years that we, we've been out there. Um, I just don't think anybody's ever certified it. So I think it's one of those maybe attainable. I don't. I think it's kind of ambitious for the convention that Time Eddie is, but um, it's totally doable. 
I so, think it's attainable, Quinn. I, th- I think you're. Uh, I think, I, you're, I hope, I hope I think you're being do. a negative Nelly. I hope they do. I hope they do. I just think it's. I don't think it'll stand long if, no, they, if no, they get no, it. No, I think. Yeah. yeah. Once people realize that's a thing, Galley and Chicago Tar, right, they'll right. all go. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> right. But good on Time Eddie for being the head of the curve too. Uh, speaking of Galley, they finally announced some first guests, Sean. They did. Uh, these are all uh, slated for it next year uh, in twenty. 20- 17 in February, and the roster includes some of the stalwarts, uh, uh, regulars that you would expect, Richard Denick, Jason Hangallery, and Gary Russell, and Paul Cornell, uh, Nicholas uh, Pegg, and Barnaby Edwards, Nicholas Briggs, etc., etc., etc. Some of the, uh, I think, a little more exciting news, uh, standout ones, are Michael Troughton, Daphne Ashbrook, of course, uh, Philip Hinchcliffe uh, will be returning, Peter Purvis, Annika Wilkes, Katie Manning, William Russell, Louise Jameson, Paul McGann, and Lala Ward. Uh, Lala is making her... Where did I read this? Uh, Second American... Her last appearance in North America was 21 years ago. Wow. Uh, She also is the final principal living cast member of the classic series uh, that uh, Gallifrey One hadn't yet hosted. So this is her first galley. Wow. And the last of the classic series guests. That, that Had they, Tom been there a long time ago, I guess? I don't know. That's an interesting question. The way that reads. Tom must have been there in the early days. Back when he would take a boat across the seas, <laughs> <laughs> must have been. I hadn't thought of that. So, I'm I'm bummed because I would, I would totally I would jump on an airplane today for Lala Ward. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you lucky enough to get tickets, I'm jealous. Oh, shall we move on to feedback? Yes, let's. First up in feedback is Holly. Holly writes, The Kingmaker. Hey guys, hope everyone had a great week. Bit of housekeeping, the July book for the Doctor Who Traveling the Vortex book club on Goodreads is Moonblink by Sadie Miller. For those who have... Oops, excuse me. For those who have just joined the book club, you, if you have read any of the earlier books that the book club has read, please feel free to add your thoughts in there too. The Kingmaker. I've forgotten how much I like Aramem. She, the fifth Doctor, and Perry play well, well off each other. Plus, Aramem breaking the one gentleman's hand when he got a little, a little too fresh with her had me chuckling at Perry's reaction at Aramem's response. He has another chance. Love the fact that the Doctor is an author that has that has passed his deadline for a book. How does that one saying go? I love the sounds of deadlines as they go swishing by. <laughs> I also think that the Doctor may want to distance himself from Shakespeare's works for a bit after how worked up he got in this audio. <laughs> really enjoyed this one. I'll wrap it up here. Like, Okinawa forward... I think I was supposed to say looking forward <laughs> to hearing everyone's Autocorrect. <laughs> Must have got it. got it there. Like Okinawa forward. Okay. Darn you, autocorrect. <laughs> Thanks, Holly. Thank you, Holly. I guess I should probably go back and I have not posted uh, your thoughts posted on my thoughts on on the Goodreads. 
You should. I should. It's probably a, well. I'll have time coming up shortly. So. <laughs> All time enough at last. <laughs> Our next bit of feedback comes from Mitch. Mitch writes, history's a mess. Hey guys, after listening to the Kingmaker, I can only conclude that history, particularly Doctor Who history, is a mess. This story's ending doesn't really work with the Shakespeare Code and the events are all over the place. I did find the premise interesting with the publishing robot and the series of children's books the Doctor wrote while working for UNIT. I enjoyed the 8th Doctor comic series, particularly the 12th Doctor and Clara making a cameo appearance at the end. When Josie mentioned them, I thought that would be it. I didn't expect to actually see them in the comic, but I'm glad we did. Also, writing this feedback made me realize that both these stories had some influence from a future incarnation of the Doctor. The Kingmaker had the Ninth Doctor delivering letters, and the Eighth Doctor comic miniseries was arranged by the Twelfth Doctor to help Josie. Mitch. And uh, she also confirms that uh, she does not have the Sonic Screwdriver remote control. Hasn't been able to justify spending that much money on it, so it's a good thing that uh, Mitch won yeah. our, uh, our Patreon... Raffle prize. Congratulations. <laughs> and thanks for sending us your address, Mitch. Uh, Sean might have had it, but I don't think I did. So uh, I have the the prize, and I will be sending it to you shortly. I did have it, and I, I, I don't know why, because I know we asked you for it, and that made sense to me at the time. Even though somewhere <laughs> in my brain I knew that I had your address. Well, you had to have it because you sent her the lottery ticket. Yeah. That's true. And she hasn't moved since then, so. <laughs> but for some reason, getting that to Keith was just like, no, that's an extra step. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I, I, have, I have no excuse for my behavior. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. Don't. Uh, don't forget, you can also send us feedback by going to our website, travelingthevortex.com, and filling out the send us feedback tab or send us directly feedback at feedback at travelingthevortex.com or you can also reach out to us on Facebook Traveling the Vortex or on Twitter uh, at Travel Vortex much like as I'm waiting for this to pull up uh, Andrew Coleman Francis has been joined us for Twitter and uh on Twitter, Friday Night Who, and Daniel Martinez has been interacting with us on Twitter. So, good Welcome to talk to, to you guys. Welcome both and, of them. Yeah. Shall we move on to our reviews? Our review. Review. Do we, do we want to mention we that? We have decided we that uh, we're going to push off uh, the 8th Doctor comic miniseries uh, off until next week. Uh, we had some technical difficulties on our end, and uh, some of us were not able to get it read. Um, not 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 by lack of trying, but um, unfortunately, yeah, the uh, technical Neanderthal <laughs> ran into technology again this week. And, uh, Why don't you just call me out there, Glenn? <laughs> he had issues. I was quite happy with no, he, one of us he, had problems. He, he, no. he literally had uh, issues that we can verify because we saw it ourselves with our own eyes. So we're going to push those off to next week, uh, which we also decided kind of. Uh, fits nicely with the two Eighth Doctor stories that we're going to do with the uh, from his second series in Big Finish. So that's right. That'll work out. I just thought it was ironic that the technical Neanderthal had technology was the. I didn't think it was ironic <laughs> at all. I thought it was just part for the course. I'm cursed. 
cursed, I tell you. Geef, do you have a synopsis for I the do. Kingmaker? The Kingmaker. Doctor Who encounters one of the most notorious <laughs> characters from his past, from the past, as he journeys through time to travel the great historic, to solve the great historical mysteries. Not surprisingly, the Doctor becomes mixed up with Richard III himself as he tries to unravel the perplexing problem of who exactly killed the princes in the tower. Perry and Aramim also encounter a suspicious, a suspicious time traveler, someone from the Doctor's past, someone who shouldn't really be there at all. So who did murder the princes in the tower? Perhaps it's best not to ask a question like that. You might not like the answer. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, I'd give it a bigger one than that. Okay, go for it. This is probably <laughs> one of my favorite Big Finish audios now. This ranks up there with spare parts. This ranks up there with Doctor Who and the Pirates. This ranks up there with all of the things that I've heaped mounds of praise on. This is right up there with all of those. This is such a well-written, well-thought-out, farce, dark comedy, extreme drama, back to a dark comedy, and back to a farce. And it keeps you guessing the whole time. There's a lot of times you listen to Big Finish or any Doctor Who, and there is some amount of predictability to it. And every time you think you've got this figured out or you think it's going to be predictable, it takes a completely different direction. And I love that. Nev Fountain had such a wonderful time doing this, you can tell. And he had such a complex story that comes across simply. It's just, it, it, it lays itself out there and has so many facets, but all connects and makes sense and, and winds together. And I think it's, it's a terrific story. It well, does have a couple of issues, but overall, it is wonderful. It's one of those complex storytelling trope not tropes, but device. Device or style that could be really confusing. And this one isn't. Uh,. I only had one moment where I was, did I have something go wrong? Did I miss something? Because it, it was when um, Perry and Aramim are talking in like the first episode of all the stuff we saw. And I'm like, what stuff? What are they talking about? And I didn't realize it had kind of done a time jump. And yeah. and I just kind of decided to go, oh, okay, well, we'll see if it sorts yeah. itself out. And it made sense by the time I got through it. The interesting thing about it is every time I got confused or thought I had missed something, someone else brings up that, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. And they go back and they let you in on it. It's almost like it's paced so that the listener gets to the point where they think, did I just miss something? And then it's laid out right there. It's like it's like Nev knew. Like he knew this is where somebody's going to have a question. So I'll bring it back and, and fill them in. And it, it, it does that every time. The only thing that I got really confused and I kept thinking, they've got to tell me about this robot prince. Why the heck are the princes robots? What is going on here? And they, they, they never came back yeah. to it. They never came back to it. Never came back to it. And I kept thinking, when are you going to well, reveal <laughs> what the heck was the – why did they? she think it was a robot? And when they get there, I was like – Oh, you did not just go there. 
Especially when she's talking about what part fell off. I thought when it happened, I thought it was like a leg. I did too, because they didn't go into any sort of detail. No, they really did. But when she starts, I, uh, well, and and the princes are the hook through the entire story from the beginning. Of they're the mystery, and so they it, it's important that he does kind of leave that dangling and you wondering the entire time because that gets you that, that gets you into. <laughs> The mystery <laughs> of, the, of the story. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You know what you said, right? I know. Okay. Or brilliant. Welsh chosen choice of word. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> it's uh, it, it was one of those those storylines. <laughs> Sorry, that I I honestly kind of forgot, kept forgetting that there was the robot aspect to of it until Perry kept bringing it up. I was more concerned of well, who actually killed them? What happened to them? Why are they not dead? Obviously, they're not in the tower when, and it becomes Perry and Aramim. So, what really happened to them? There's, there's so much mystery surrounding the princes that the robot aspect was just kind of another, another fold to it that sometimes I would remember and sometimes I wouldn't. See, and I, it was, it was forefront of my mind the whole time because they kept saying, well, it, it, because of the time jumps, because we're going back and forth between 1484 and 1480. 
who it is. The doctor seems certain, but he doesn't say it's the master. But he seems certain enough that then I'm convinced again. Well, if he knows who it is, it must be the master. And it's not until <laughs> it's really revealed. Dressed all in black. Oh. Yeah, but then when it's revealed later that he's Shakespeare, it's almost like that must have been who the doctor <laughs> suspected anyway. It wasn't that the doctor yeah. thought it was yeah. Yeah. Uh, the master. He th- initially thought it must have been Shakespeare. Did you guys realize that Mr. Satan, it was spelled S-E-Y-T-O-N? I, I didn't, I know, didn't that know that until, until now. Until, yeah, I yeah. went to uh, the wiki. Um, I thought it was literally S-A-T-A-N. <laughs> um, oh, we couldn't do that. That'd be too on point. <laughs> Well, the devil stuff at the beginning of it. That's why I thought he went with that name. Um, the the interesting thing is that the the Shakespeare aspect of it is really it's 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 cloaked really well, even though it's very obvious when the doctor's talking about to to Perry and Araman about how Shakespeare was there and they'd had some drinks and they had gotten into this heated discussion, <laughs> and then when the doctor leaves the TARDIS and Perry hears the TARDIS land again. It's right there. Oh, Shakespeare yeah. had been hiding out and had re-directed uh, the TARDIS somehow and landed it in another part. So well, to I, where Perry and, and Airman were with, with it back, obviously he had a fast return switch or something. But. Well, I got the impression based off the end conversation uh, at the very, very end of the, ep- uh, the story that it, it just it was a happy accident that they wound up two years in the past. Because the doctor uh, oh, I talks guess about the, it being the, the William he, Shakespeare had taken the taken advantage yes, of the fact that yeah, they're not back. Yeah. You're right. You're he right. He didn't actually yes. program the TARDIS to do that. You're right. You're right. I, I was led to believe that throughout the story until we got to, until we got that explanation. The communication between the doctor in 1495 and the girls <laughs> in, ni- in 1493 was great. Was, the, yeah. yeah. The, the idea of... They even almost reference back to the They future. really do. And I, I love the idea that um, it's the ninth doctor is kind of portrayed as the one that delivers yeah. the message back to the girls because uh, the, the, the guy specifically says a northern bloke with big ears. And yeah. it's, it's clearly a reference to the ninth doctor, which makes sense that this would have been written that way because this came out in 2006. And, of course, the series had already been back on television. Yeah. So, uh, and that was would have been the doctor at the time. So it worked out really well. Um, I think one of the things that I am finding that I don't like is I think Araman, and not to the fault of this story, but I find Araman's character very uneven. Um, in in the sense that sometimes she's this kind of naive um, adventurer who is learning things and having her world open to her. And then there are some stories where she seems to be very close-minded and directed and not not in a bad way, but close-minded in the sense that she is a certain type of person because of the era she comes from. And then there's some times where she says she doesn't believe in gods, and then there's another time where she's talking about the afterlife. And so it's <laughs> it she seems to be almost written unevenly, and I don't know if that's to the error of the fact that no one really kind of outlined her as they handed these stories off to different authors. But so I'm having a difficult time enjoying Araman as a character as we continue to do these. But that's neither here nor there for this story because how she's written in this story works for the story. And, so. and this story feels like she's made huge leaps and gross as a character. As a, I disagree. This almost so? feels like a slide back to me. It almost feels like Araman of old who was still set in her ways, had certain ideas of how things should be. And she hasn't, she because she felt like for a while there she was growing. 
but we did go through that that part where she kind of quasi died and yeah. was being manipulated and 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 I almost want to just discount that was, story altogether. I almost want to too, but you can't. <laughs> and now by putting that same type of airman in this story, it almost seems like that's why I say I just think that I, I to no fault of any of the authors that have written these stories, other than I just don't think anybody was given any real true guidance. Excuse me, guidance with airmen, and so I think that's just been the fault. The other thing that I find interesting that doesn't bother me is that. Perry is written for somebody that should know Perry pretty well because they actually <laughs> are uh, a couple in real life. Uh, Perry is written almost to the comic foil in this, to some extent, and yeah. it's it it almost it it feels on the verge of unfair to the character, but again, Nev uses her in such a way that it works so well for the story that I'm so forgiving of her. And of, of the way she acts and the way she's portrayed in this. But there's just that edge of she almost was, her character's a bit cheapened in this, which I, I found surprising for, for coming from who it came from. But it works, and it works well for this story, so I, I'm a little forgiving on it as well. Well, it's so interesting that there, there's so much of this where I was almost screaming at my iPod, Perry, come on! You know better than this. Exactly, and, and it, shouldn't it, be doing it, it that. almost felt like the role should have been swapped between yeah. her and Aramim. Yeah, and Aramim was the voice of reason through some of it. And it was like, what? No, what? No, that's not how this should work at all. Yeah. It's and and then they would almost halfway through the story change stances, and it's like, what? What are you doing? It's depending it's just, on what the circumstances were that that, that required yeah, it. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't find it necessarily unusual that Aramim was saying. Well, we gotta kill these. We people. gotta kill the kids. You know, that doesn't necessarily strike me as out of place for her. Perry wanting to save them and being, yeah, we can change history. He's like, you that should know better than that. No, yeah. you're not. You're not allowed to do that. But and you should know you're not allowed. To yeah, do that because especially, I mean, in the te- by in if you look at this from the television series, the two stories that's sandwiched between. Perry hadn't been traveling with yeah. the doctor for very long, but now what we've done, as as it's Sean done. was alluding to, driving a wedge into <laughs> between two stories, so that you can tell more Fifth Doctor and Perry stories. That this Perry should know better. This Perry has been on enough adventures with the doctor to know, you know, the the, the consequences and the repercussions and things like that. And I was okay with a lot of the Aramim stuff that you had issue with, Glenn. Be- Partially because the last story we had had with her was Council of Nicaea, and that was such a religious-based story that it still felt in line with a lot of that, for me, of of what. Yeah, but she was very counter to that religious ideals. That's the problem. She was very counter to what they were doing. Well, she, she was, was she was counter to one group. She was well, still, it was, she was still buying into somebody else's religious ideals and trying to push something forward. It was just two different. She was two different aspects of religion. She was buying into the countenance of why it needs to be one idea, not the idea of what they believed in. Right. So that's why I say when she starts talking about God and I'll see in the afterlife and things like that, that's a very Egyptian ideal, which I see where she's getting that from. But she's counter to saying that she believes in an afterlife or she believes in religion or gods to turn around and say, Perry, I'll see you in the afterlife when we take the poison. So it's like it was almost it's it, it, there's just a little bit of unevenness, and it's 
it's not it's not detrimental to the no, story at no. all, but it's just it makes me wonder a little bit about that whole Roman. scene. Just kind of put me on edge, and yeah, I, I, I wasn't a big fan of that. I, I would that agree. whole scene in general. I would agree. But but the conversation uh, she and the doctor had at the end about that was a nice little uh, connection between the two of them. Well, and I like that the I like that Araman goes to the doctor later and has concerns about. Um, what she did uh, of deciding that they needed to go a certain direction and then telling, oh, Perry, I'm just kidding, you know. And she's questioning her friendships again, which she had questioned her friendships based on experiences in the one where that she had died, essentially. Yeah. And, and she had the uh, uh, visions of Perry and the doctor and the differences that they had in those. And she was also questioning her relationship with Perry at that point. So it's kind of consistent with that. But it's peppered I, we're, I'm making too big a deal about Aramin here, I feel, but it's peppered throughout. But we have these moments of closeness, like the one in the space station where they yeah. were all buddy buddy and great friends, and and it just I don't know, it just seems to be real uneven. I agree. It, 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 there is a lot of inconsistencies. This one I didn't have as much problem with it as you did. Um, I really like the uh, fact that Nev takes the. He, he almost skirts the idea of, in, in, in English history, Richard III has been so vilified because history is written by the winning side. And when the Tudors took over the throne and unseated the House of York, the, the, the king, Richard, was vilified, and the Tudors kind of set up their own history. And so anything that was chronicled back then was through the lineage of the Tudors. So we don't know for sure what kind of character Richard was because there's not a lot of evidence that isn't biased. And it doesn't help that, and I, I, don't, I don't want to come down on any side of who's right and who's wrong <laughs> on this because I don't want to offend anybody because I think there are still a lot of people, especially in England, that have very strong feelings towards one way or the other, Richard or not, as we talked about earlier about the, the Richard III Society and then obviously people that are... are uh, uh, adheres to the to the Queen Elizabeth. Um, however, that being said, Nev kind of takes this middle ground where he doesn't make Richard this tyrant, but he also doesn't make Richard the hero. No. And I like how he takes this almost picture of Richard that nobody even expects. He's kind of this unre- unreluctant king but will do anything necessary so that it makes him look tyrannical in certain Views or aspects, well, and he's willing to do things unsavory if if he has exactly to. if it's for the best of his people, which I like because any king I think should yeah. take that approach. And so what I like is and that he's willing to go to great lengths to protect his family. That what I like is that the, the Duke of Clarence, who is Clary in this, in the original Richard story, the idea was that Richard killed his brother, who was the Duke mm. the Duke of Clarence. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, the funny thing is, he, well, he if you believe uh, the Shakespeare account, he had assassins drown him in a vat of wine. And I love that Nev took the parallel of somebody being drowned in alcohol <laughs> as he becomes an innkeeper who... A barkeep. A barkeep, yeah, a barkeep, who basically is drowning in alcohol always because he's always drunk and he's always drowning himself 
in 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 alcohol in the sense that he drinks too much, so much to the excession that he passes out often, and the girls have to like put him to bed, you know. Yeah. So I like how he's turned that on its ear, and he's kind of taken a parallel, but he's but Clarence lived, but the impression was that that that, that, that the Duke had died, that he had, he had been killed, and Richard even allows people to believe that he's the one that killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the re- relationship between the Duke of Richard and the Duke of Buckingham here as well, because it does parallel the story in the sense that uh, the Duke of Buckingham did turn on King Richard, and Richard, in as history as we know it, had the uh, Buckingham beheaded later because he he they were in the traditional story they kind of partnered in this overthrow of uh edward when after edward the fourth died edward the fifth was to take the crown the princes were put in the tower the uh richard was uh granted lord protector of england by his brother edward the fourth edward dies the princes disappear and richard is accelerated to the throne and the historical record of that as we know it is that buckingham had something to do with that and so they still continue to go down that course but it's when they introduce the idea which i thought it was also interesting that richard wasn't just visited by uh um shakespeare he obviously had this idea that he was going to be a tyrant and knew his future planted in his mind by other time travelers that had come back to find out what richard was really like and so he already had this presupposed idea of what he was supposed to be because it was already fed to him and so i thought that was interesting and that was why he kind of took the approach to things that he did because he said you know i if i'm to go die on the battle of boswick uh what's the name of the field boswick field boss I had notes. I forgot to bring them tonight. <laughs> anyway, the battle that he's supposed to die on, he was going to go and and uh, accept that death on the battlefield to the hands of Henry Tudor's uh, army. And so I like the idea that he's he's pretty much presupposed to this. And Nev gets him a way out by swapping Shakespeare inadvertently, shopping, swapping Shakespeare, and Richard living out Shakespeare's life as well. That were very clever. This it was, was it was good. clever, but I had issue with the fact that they swapped him. And I, I really like the the reference at the end. I oh, I know a guy who can, or what the name drop of whoever it was that that can help you with some of the the scripts if you need be. Yeah, because <laughs> that's kind of the you know. Um. The, the Bacon, uh, yeah, Francis Bacon, Francis yeah. Bacon, yeah. Which, well, which Bacon I, allegedly helped him with Henry VIII Part Three, allegedly in history as well. So mm. that was a nod to that as yeah. well. But, so, so uh, I, 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 while I liked that and enjoyed that, I had some issue, uh, especially now looking more at the dates of how Shakespeare could have died back in, and. It doesn't work with the Shakespeare Code, and I think uh, Mitch was pointing this out to us because uh, Shakespeare and Richard are taken back to 1597, which is where they end up swapping, and Shakespeare goes back and takes Richard's place in uh, 1485, and Richard lives out his life as William Shakespeare from 1597 onward, or 1595 onward. Unfortunately, Shakespeare Code takes place in 1599 when Martha and the 10th Doctor go back so that would have in fact been Richard instead of actually Shakespeare and the 10th Doctor should have known that or recognized that so you cannot rectify that in that sense 
unless you somehow can accept that this might have caused an alternate timeline in which yeah, when, that's when the doctor almost... went forward, he stayed on one timeline where this never happened to Shakespeare and he continued on and was actually a pretty decent guy <laughs> <laughs> instead of this jerk that he is in this story. But the other thing that is interesting is this also ties back to they've encountered the eighth doctor later encounters a young William Shakespeare <laughs> in time of the Daleks when yeah. Shakespeare is found to uh, end up back in a time that is, is not his own either and is, uh, I can't remember if he was foretelling things, inadvertently foretelling things that were, uh, I think the, the Daleks took him back, didn't they? He was like a kitchen boy or something, and they find yeah. out that it's William, yeah. and then they, later on it's divulged that it's William Shakespeare, and he was out of time. He was in the wrong time. See, what's funny is with things like this, <clears throat> when, when, you, when you do a time travel story that winds up setting up something that then completely tosses out continuity, regardless of whether or not Shakespeare code was written with the intent of oh, but you didn't take in a big finished story into account, you know. <laughs> but if this had been any other series, if this had been Star Trek, I'd be furious. <laughs> <laughs> I would be absolutely livid at the idea that somebody didn't do enough research to know that you can't do that because it doesn't work, and you know you you have to fix this in Shakespeare code. You got to change the date, or you got to make a reference to it, or give me something. Unfortunately, with, with Doctor Who, it's just like, eh. <laughs> it's, I don't even think about it. It's just kind of a wibbly wobbly timey wimey. It it just things happen. Yeah, and, and, and you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt because I mean, when the show itself contradicts itself, like in, in the TV show proper, sometimes we have those issues too between classic and new or yeah. classic and classic sometimes so it's kind of one of those things that you just kind of have to swallow and just okay well the doctor only had one granddaughter he didn't have a granddaughter and a grandson and he traveled yeah, with and, artists and and see, comic fake as well but but see me in my mind i always want it to fit in my head canon and so i always have that little niggle at the back of my mind thinking someday i'm going to figure out a way for this to work <laughs> and someday i will figure out a way for this shakespeare <laughs> dilemma to work as well Unfortunately, the big, the big, the bigger problem with the Shakespeare dilemma is you can't just shift Shakespeare code, like assume they were wrong about the year because of the order of the plays he wrote, and there's no way By Love Labor's lost. He had already written Richard the Third, and yeah, 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 Love, yeah Labor, that's, Love Labor lost. That's the bigger issue Labor. here. Unless someone, a big finish needs to write a little mini story that picks up <laughs> Shakespeare from the battlefield and takes him back to his proper time and swaps just Richard before back. he dies. Yeah, and <laughs> see, I don't want that either because I like that Richard was able to. Well, let, Richard gets let, the Richard, short short shrift here, no matter what happens. That's well, what ultimately yeah. is is the neat thing about this is Richard was. He was already predestined to do what he does, and and what happened to him was happened to him. And he was either going to be painted, well, he was always going to be painted in the future in a poor light, despite how the outcome of this story is. And he's he's satisfied. He's 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 uh, he's lived with that now. He's he's ready to accept that. Okay, this is just who I am. He turns on a dime. That's why Buckingham begins to distrust him because Bucko, as he calls him, I love that too. Uh, Bucko starts to detrust him because of the, the, the change that he has and his attitude towards the princes. And I, I love that idea that that's the reason why that happened. On the flip side of that, it almost gives Richard a justification to give him a better life 
than what was already predestined for him because we had people coming back and meddling with his life yeah. just in the just in the sense of telling him that this is what was <laughs> going to happen to him that's crappy if you come somebody came to you and said this is what's going to happen to you and there's nothing you can do to change it and then you're going to be vilified for it in the future you're like uh, what can I do? The story changes, but the, the uh, end stays. remains the same. Yeah. And it stays the same. So in, by doing that and being able to swap Shakespeare, who has been probably the worst enemy as far as the uh, vilifying the legacy of Richard III, ends up having to swap, and he's the one that dies in the battlefield instead, I think is a very it's, clever it's a very, device. It's a very clever ploy here. It's very clever and very poetic. Uh, and I... I like that. I like it in the context of the story. It's just the context of the bigger universe I had the issue with. Right. I, I loved how uh, Richard was portrayed throughout the entire thing. Uh, there, there's not a moment in the in this where I feel like he did anything unjustified. He's yeah. so fun to listen to as oh, well. Yeah. He, he's he's not just he's not just well written. He's not just very accepting. He's not just he, he's <clears throat> when he's a villain. He's a fun villain. He's the kind of villain you hope for, quite honestly. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, more of this kind of thing. A guy who, you know, makes no bones about it. Yes, I'm the villain of the piece. And if, you, you, would I torture a child? Yes, I would. If, you know, if I need to. And, and, and you, it, it's so refreshing that this is somebody who's not delusional about it, in a way. That you, you're, you're getting a very straightforward... Ta-da. But there are still lines he would not cross, like... Yes. Killing his brother or yeah. any of those things. Or the princess, for that yeah. matter. And, in fact, going so far as having the girls dress up like them because the other two girls <laughs> aren't. They're working. And and the connection. That, that's the other thing I thought was clever is the fact that, that Nev rewrites history in the sense that Edward IV put off that his uh, oh, yeah. daughters were boys <laughs> because he knew there was. Once he had three girls in a row. He realized his chances of having a lineage was were out, and so he puts on this ruse that these these girls are actually little boys, who as they grow, it makes it harder and harder for them to pull off the fact that they're actually <laughs> girls and not boys. Well, and, I also like that Perry then goes, "Well, what's wrong with having a queen?" Uh, considering from our perspective. They've had queens now at well, this point. Even, so even in in the but, but from their perspective, they have. Well, even so, in the House of Tudor and the lineage on, on that changes because Queen Elizabeth actually becomes yeah. the monarch at and some the, point. She's the first queen, right? She's the second because Mary Queen of Scots was oh, the okay, first. That's, that's right. That's yeah, right. So, but that's still post. Right, but that's all, all post Richard and 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 then uh, I think it's uh, Henry Tudor uh, who I think becomes Henry the seventh. And then Henry VIII, obviously, and then and, and, and down the line, uh, Henry VIII, I think, was uh, Mary and Elizabeth's father. father. So it's not that far down yeah. the line. So, I but just, think. But just, <laughs> just far pretty back sure in I've history got that, that right. society yeah. would not accept it. Yeah, I did a lot of research on Richard III. I didn't go too much further <laughs> beyond that. So. Unfortunately, all this is off the top of my head. Forgive me, anybody in England who's listening to this or anywhere in the UK that's listening. I'd, to this. I'd step in and correct you, but all I have going through my head the entire time you were talking is, I'm Henry VIII. I am Henry VIII. It's on a loop. Um, it's just such an exceptionally written uh, show. Now, not to say that it does not have a few flaws. Mainly, 
the very distracting nature of the voice cast. <laughs> I think that works to its advantage. <laughs> well, the, let's, because let's, Kling, King Richard should have been from the north. He is from the north. Yeah. He's from the north. No, so no, he, I mean, he was, that's just his accent. I, I, I mean, I mean, nothing he was Duke against, of York, is what he was, uh, and that name? that is a northern territory. Well, Gloucester, but well, he was Duke Hester. of York. He was, no, he was Duke of Gloucester. I was, I'm sorry, he's Duke of Gloucester. He was Lord of uh, the House of York, which is was primarily from the north. So yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. I, I mean absolutely nothing against Stephen Gloucester. Beckett because he did a phenomenal job. And as I, I commented earlier, the Richard was so much fun to listen to. Mel listened to part of this with me and she went, I think it's so weird that they got Christopher Eccleston to do this. I thought he didn't like, you know, and the first thing I did as soon as he started talking and the, the cadence, the rhythm of his speech, the, 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 he sounded like Chris Eccleston. I went and looked it up. Chris Eccleston's not in this episode. It was like, get out of town. See, I didn't think he sounded like, he didn't have the same pitch that Eccleston has. He had the same cadence. He had the same accent. He had everything that that Christopher Eccleston has, but it was at a different pitch. I, I don't even think it was a different. Pitch. I think Eccleston's <laughs> pitch is just a tad higher than this than this guy's. And so, uh, okay, I would give you that. But immediately, I, could also see I kept Eccleston... think, I kept hearing somebody trying to do the Ninth Doctor is what it sounded like. Oh, no, yeah. see, I, I, in, I went reverse with it. I could hear. I can understand where you're coming from with a different pitch, but I can also come from it from the Eccleston steps up to the mic. And then feels like he has to dramatically deliver the line, <laughs> and it comes out differently than. You know what it sounded like? It sounded like Nicholas Bridge Briggs doing the Ninth Doctor as he did in the Destiny the Doctor story. So I could see that a little bit. Uh, that's that's how it came across to me, and I, I immediately knew it wasn't the same actor. Um, however, I did a lot of times keep thinking he sounds very much like the Ninth Doctor. Um, but Sean, I, I, I think part of the, the 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 reason why I think it's more forgiving is this story sets off as a farce, is what it does. Yeah, and it sets off from a farce from the whole perspective of taking a real uh, world series of books, the Doctor <laughs> uh, Doctor Who discovers, and making it part of the story and the continuity. Brilliant. Which I think, well, yeah, Nev was. Uh, that was so clever. I keep I keep praying you, Nev. If you ever listen to this, this was brilliant. I love this. You're you're such a great writer. We'll tag um, him on Twitter later. <laughs> that being said, um, because it's a it's a farce and it's set up as a farce, the 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 voice of each character fits. Uh, Bucko is is the perfect name for the Duke of Buckingham because he and Buckingham are caricatures of who they are. But we've already set off that this is a farce, all the way to the point of the doctor relaying the conversation or the little feud that he had, the drunken feud, on ginger beer. It wasn't even alcohol. It was ginger beer. <laughs> Don't give the doctor ginger beer. Um, the the drunken discussion that he's had with William Shakespeare, calling Shakespeare a hack, and then he, you know, and uh, and then the idea that the doctor went to Shakespeare's time to get information on Richard III instead of just, instead going, of just going to Richard III's <laughs> time to get the research for this book that he's doing. For anybody that doesn't know, the Doctor, excuse me, Doctor Who Discovers was a series of six books in the 1970s that are done from the perspective of the fourth Doctor. And they are written for kids. And they are base, basically the Doctor explaining... Uh, real world things to kids. They were educational books, and it was intended. There was intended to be eleven of these books, 
but after six books they had kind of fallen off and they didn't they didn't go on so what nev has done here is he has taken and he has put it into in universe and as soon as they start saying doctor who discovers i knew sean's hackles went up went whoa there it is doctor who there it is but I knew but then you, they fixed it. <laughs> but I knew that you were suddenly okay with it when the doctor explains. Well, it was actually sp- supposed to be the doctor, comma, who discovers, <laughs> and then somebody dropped the, the comma. comma. <laughs> and so I love that the, he he did an in, in in universe explanation for that. And then uh, I love that he had toyed with the idea. And these are obviously these were being written when he was the fourth doctor. It wasn't until the fifth doctor that he decided to do. Uh, mysteries of history i think what was it called uh history's mysteries or something like that. doctor who discovers uh mysteries of history or something, yeah, something like, like that. that historical mysteries that's what it was doctor who discovers historical mysteries and that he picks this idea back up because he's got this assassin robot <laughs> from the publisher who has taken is over all publishing in the 63rd century in order to get their make their deadlines they come back and they make sure that they <laughs> turn in their uh their works and he keeps thwarting this uh, assassin robot each time because he's i keep saying assassin he was either going to have to give him the um, the material or he was going to be killed um but i don't i don't know if it's because of the the deadline quote that holly referenced but it felt very douglas adams to me the the whole idea of these robot editors set back to make sure you finish your deadline just Totally it felt uh, Douglas Adams. It, it, the whole concept of the setup is three shades of genius beyond what I, I think we, we've had in anything <laughs> remotely recently. It, it, it okay. So just as he's telling the story, all the publishing houses were eventually bought out by one gigantic conglomerate. We're not that far away from that now. True. <laughs> Although he does pinpoint it down to the 63rd century. Yeah. So. But, yeah, maybe, but yes. maybe, maybe a couple of these hang on for a while. <laughs> but <laughs> So then, okay, Droid comes back and it's going to make you do your deadlines. That's great. That's just a genius. And then working in the Doctor Who Discovers, which I didn't know was a thing until I went back and looked it up later and went, oh, that was an actual thing. I suspected it probably was, yeah. just the way they were talking about it. But even if it hadn't been, even if it was just a totally made-up thing... It's still clever It's still clever and clever. awesome and, and, and brilliant. The, the neat thing, too, let me do an aside here, is on the cover of the CD from Big Finish, the fifth Doctor has one of the books in his pocket, <laughs> and it's literally... Uh, Fastened, uh, fashioned after one of the covers of the Doctor Who Disco- or Doctor Who Discovers. It looks a bit like a Target novelization, and it's, it's got, got the, the diamond logo on it and everything. And Target was the publisher, publisher of Doctor Who Discovers. I, I, I liked the fact that he was so in 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 very Fifth Doctor fashion. After you know, retroactively retconning this for. Uh, 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 time crash when he's like, well, you know, I go zooming around the universe and oh, being kind of magnificent, uh, you know, <laughs> that he's he's still kind of blasé and yet still egocentric enough to go, well, I had made quite the name for myself. Maybe it was the Loch Ness monster swimming up the Thames. <laughs> <laughs> it became a thing, and I had to do this, and you know, had uh, had these stories, and I thought, well, okay, I'll be I'll be a writer, and you can tell that he's doing it with this air of humility, and yet not. <laughs> it's just. Well, such a Peter Davidson way that's of the delivering. Thing is yeah. It, yeah. It works for the fifth doctor because all of these were being done 
even this one had started when he was still in his fourth incarnation, which is completely fourth doctor. That's completely something fourth doctor would, yeah, well, I should write these books because of this. But now the doctor's gone through a personality change. And so he has that very kind of an air of disdain of, all right, yeah, I got to kind of finish this because I got this started when I was somebody else. And, and even the idea of bringing up the audio recording of him making notes. And I got to say, Keith, I'll call him out on this. He thought that I was thought that Tom. Was Tom. I thought it was Tom. You did too. The only reason I knew it wasn't is because I knew Tom hadn't signed with Big Finish until like 2012. My, my first thought was. And this was, was 2016 or 2020, 20, 2006. I didn't know when this was recorded. My and first so thought I, was, my God, that sounds like Tom. But I also thought that sounded like Eccleston and it wasn't him. So then I went back and looked it up again and Tom's not in this. And no. then I thought to myself, I wonder if this is the guy that sounds like Tom. It is. It's John Coleshaw. Yeah. And he, he used to do a lot of. Uh, Tom Baker impersonation, well, fourth doctor impersonations, and they got him to do this. But they also double building because he's also the uh, uh, he's also Earl Rivers in this as well. So he got to play another part as well. So my God, he sounds like Tom. Yeah, <laughs> when he does when he does it. Now I have heard him do uh, Tom Baker impressions where, and he he's not quite there. He's it's almost like this guy doing the what sounds like the ninth doctor it's just enough off not to, to know it's not they put in the uh, audio effects that's so what makes it work it. is the fact that it's an audio recording and it masks that problem that i've always had listening to him try to naturally do it when you put it in an audio recording it, as keith just said it masks that idea that it and so you completely buy into the fact that that's the fourth doctor so cleverly done yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the the setup for this was just just out of the park, and as it unspooled and 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 went through its permeations, th- this is one of those great examples of I had no idea what was going on until the doctor knew what was going on. You know, I, there was not a moment that I went, oh, I know yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, I, I just I'm along for the ride and yeah. I'm wrapped up in it, and the pacing was good. It didn't. It, there was no point, maybe because it was farcical. There was at no point did I feel like, oh man, I still got another part to go, or you know, this is yeah. this is the info dump, or you know, I, I never had any of those moments during during uh, the story. Uh, just I'll go so far which is as funny to because say a lot of it is info dumps. Yeah, technically, <laughs> I'll go so far as to say when this thing was over, I went, it's over already. <laughs> no, I want more. <laughs> Sometimes you trundle along to the end of a two-hour big finished main range story. And you think, oh, we're reaching the end, thankfully. And that doesn't happen a lot, but it happens. Sometimes. And this one, I didn't even feel like two hours had gone by. I, I, we, got to, I li- we literally got to the end, and I could tell they were wrapping it up. I was going, no, 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 this can't be the end. <laughs> I want more of this. And especially for being a historical. Now. Hang on, hang on. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Listen, let me, let me, let me interject here. Something was bothering me last week. Something was bothering me, and I finally pinpointed what it was. And I'm, I'm as guilty as doing this as well. We had the discussion about historicals versus non-historicals. And we, we, we pinned last, last week's story as a historical, the Tom Baker story that we did, uh, Mask of Mandragora. It is not a historical. It's a period. It is a period. A historical piece or a historical story has people from history 
and deals directly with events in history. That's what makes a Doctor Who historical. That's why the Gunfighters is a historical. That's why the Massacre is a historical. To appoint the Highlanders is a historical. So that's why a lot of those... Reign of Terror is a historical. Anytime that the Doctor goes into the past and we're introduced to completely different characters that could have been anything that happened, and it's just un- around the trappings of history. It just happens history. to be in the past. It just happens in the past. That is a period story, which they didn't do anymore until they got to Black Orchid, and that one is counted as a historical because there are historical uh, figures in that. That's why they say there's such a break between the second Doctors there. So even things like Time Warrior, when Sarah Jane and the third Doctor go back in time to uh, stop Link, in the past, none of those characters were history-based right. characters. They were made up for that story, so it's not considered a story. So it wasn't until I was listening to this that it hit me why it kept bugging me last week. We were calling things historicals, and that was it. It was because they weren't historicals. Real they were period. people in it. But now or even a real event. Like a, There has to have been a historical event happening. Even if you created people for it, created characters for it, there's still if if there was an element of the past that was happening that that we know that comes straight out of our history books that would make it a historical. Well, isn't, isn't it wasn't one of the characters from Mandragora a real person? Even the town was made up. Yeah. Oh. Okay, it's period. Yeah, it's, it's all period. <laughs> but this is a historical. This is this a is historical. historical. Yeah. Ish. So I will I will go to you. This is a, well, it is a historical because even I mean, but it's the, a farce, the gunfighters so. didn't happen the way the gunfighters happened. Doc Holliday was actually there. It wasn't the doctor no, mistaken the doctor. as Doc Holliday. Um, <laughs> so you know, even you could go so far as to say the Aztecs is almost a quasi historical because There's that no way to know for sure. Well, exactly, and they do use two of the characters in that story. The priest and the uh, the other guy, the, the, the two heavies in that, were actual characters from from history. They did use those, utilize those characters. So, so, like Unicorn and the Wasp would be a historical, historical. but the fires of Pompeii would be a period. Or uh, is that, that because, because it's the Pompeii event? is happening and the event is happening? I think you could place that in the historical. That's why I was saying if it's if it's a it's people a, or event. It's an event that's happening around it would be considered historical. <laughs> And we do get more of those now. Uh, the uh, well, the one trying, with I'm Dickens, trying to think of one that's not. The one that with Dickens <laughs> is a historical. Uh, the Shakespeare Code is a historical. Well, I, I suppose uh, Empty Child, Dr. Dances would be a period. Well, no, because there's an event still going on But it there. would be a period because but, but even though a, it's set during the war, we don't know that that bomb actually landed in front of that right. hospital. And that those no, weren't real places; those were made a, up. So exactly. that one would be period. Would but be period. Victory of the Daleks, because Churchill's in it, is a historical. historical. Yeah. Even though Churchill probably never employed a robot, <laughs> he would have if he had. Oh, well, that's true. So. <laughs> he totally would have, <laughs> and he would have taken the TARDIS and yes, <laughs> utilized it for his own means. Can you blame him? <laughs> so so and and also like Deep Breath. Would be a period. Deep breath would be period. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Crimson aura, period. Aura. <laughs> I got halfway there for you, Sean. Just give me that, okay? <laughs> if we get more historicals like this, <laughs> I, I'll, well, I don't mean that. Maybe it's more if I don't like the periods more than the historicals because I tend to like the historicals that have the historical celebrities it's in it. 
the ones that I don't know anything about, I don't tend to like as yeah, much, exactly. like Reign of Terror. And, and that's almost, I, I don't mean that to be bad, when I, it's even for historical, but for that reason, we tend to have that gut reaction to, oh, they're going to try and teach me something this week, <laughs> you know? And I'll admit, other than having seen Richard III with, with Ian McKellen, I know very little about the lineage, the history, the the, the tutors, and it's, he does a really good job of explaining it all for those who don't know the Richard the Third yeah. story. See, I disagree, and, and the reason I say that is because this story did what the Doctor Who historicals of their time should have done, should have been doing. Is I went back and I started researching Richard the Third to find oh. out what happened, and so much so that I realized that well, he was vilified so much by Shakespeare. I'm going to go watch what Shakespeare did with the character. So it, it did. It, it prompted me to go back and learn more about Richard. And it, actually, what I did is I started this, realized how little of Richard I knew about Richard the Third that I knew about. I actually stopped, went and researched Richard the Third. Made a little inf- made my notes and did a, a mind map on it, so I knew where what everything was and what everything was going on. Then went back and proceeded to listen to this, and then as uh, Shakespeare showed up, I went whoop, and I went and watched Richard the <laughs> Third, and then I came back to this. So this actually did what historicals probably properly should do: is it taught me enough to be interested to go find out more about. And it. see, I would agree with that. I, th- I think a lot of times that I have that reaction to a Doctor Who historical or period because it it doesn't give me that reaction. It's just, it's it's set in that time frame, but not necessarily to the betterment of the story. This one did exactly what a historical ought to do, which is spawn you to go, oh yeah, I should look some of this stuff up. And you did. You carried through with it. I didn't. But I just... You know. The difference would be, though, is I came to Council of Nicaea knowing a good deal about the Council of Nicaea. And so that one was more of a refreshing, okay, I can I understand this story from the perspective of what I know of the actual well, historical And, and they've always done a good job. I never felt, aside from maybe Reign of Terror, that I entered a story... You never feel that, lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still understand yeah. what's Agreed. happening. Agreed. It, some stories may inspire me to go look into... Or watch something else more so than others, but and part of that may be the t- the, the time period in history too, or the event that they're visiting. I oh, mean, yeah. if if the Doctor ever, if we ever got the story of him actually landing or or voyaging on the Titanic, I would probably be a little more interested in that event. I'm very interested in the uh, uh, the book that's set around the Kennedy assassination yeah. because th- those are are moments in history that I have a personal affinity for and I'm right. a little more interested. Right. In. English history in regards of who succeeded the throne, which Big Finish seems like spends a lot of time with, that we've had several of these kind. Not well, that's because that's there to us. It's the Old West. It's the Kennedy yeah, assassination. It's, it's that we we have a young history and we're familiar with certain things. They have a rather older history right. and they're more familiar with those. Sort yeah, of no, and, and it's, it's completely justifiable that stuff as much. Either. Yeah, it's yeah. completely justifiable. But you could make the argument that an English company doing an English version of an English TV show dealing with English history, you're going to run into that a little right. more frequently yeah. than, than something else. Because so. when and they I, do something like the gunfighters, then they get it way wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like the fact that Perry also kind of had a reference of, I'm American, I don't know this stuff. Yeah. How would I know? <laughs> Which I thought, that was one of the other things that I felt like <laughs> yeah. Perry, Perry is, is, well, I felt like she was treated unfairly in the story. 
I also didn't. I wasn't bothered by the fact that they, they took the very American approach that you, we just don't know this. I, because I appreciated that because I thought you know I I wouldn't have either. Yeah, I'd have been yeah, in absolutely. Jews. I'd have been. I don't know. <laughs> I know that Richard III was a bad guy. <laughs> I knew vaguely about the princes in the tower. That was pretty much it. I know there were two other Richards. <laughs> <laughs> other, you, other than what they told me, that that's all I knew. Context. <laughs> I think Richard the Third was a context clue. Yeah. <laughs> Why do they call him Richard the Third? Well. Uh, anyway, that that being said, I, I, I can't praise this story more because I enjoyed it. I had so much fun with it, and I felt like I learned a lot because of <laughs> because of it. Yeah. So This is one of the... Uh, uh, the just, just an aside, sorry. The, the Kingmaker, which I thought was very interesting that this is called the Kingmaker, and it's simply only the tavern. Right, The name yeah. of the tavern. But because the Kingmaker is the idea of the crafting of crafting King Richard the king, yeah. becoming the king... The cool thing about this, too, is what's not alluded to in this is there was a man named Richard Neville. I hope I'm getting this name right because I don't have my notes in front of me. Richard Neville, who Richard actually, as a young uh, man, went and lived with. And that's where he met his wife, Anne Neville. And that man, Richard Neville, who was also the Duke of Winchester, was they actually called him the kingmaker because he would he taught uh people how to become knights what the the processes and procedures of becoming knights and he was actually he groomed richard to be a king long before richard even suspected that he would become a king or anybody knew that richard would become the king would eventually succeed the throne or would eventually take the throne and so that's where the name the kingmaker comes (laughs) from but that character's not even used in this story which i thought was a neat aside sorry interesting I was just going to say that this is just one of those, there are some big finished stories that you finish and you go, yeah, I don't know if I go back and re-listen to it. This one I definitely oh, would. yeah, me yeah, too. totally. In fact, I almost wanted to go back and re-listen to it again before we reviewed <laughs> the story. This is definitely, but I made a bunch of notes and thought, you know, I don't need to go back and listen to it. <laughs> and then I forgot to bring my notes. This is definitely a top-tier Fifth Doctor story. Yeah. This is a top-tier big finished story. I'll say that again. It's, this is right up there with spare parts for me. I love this story. It's top ten for sure. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i exceedingly pleased with myself that <laughs> I chose the King's Demons. <laughs> it fit really well it thematically. It fit really well thematically. It did. and I Not su- just the fact that they had well, King in the title. I suppose, I suppose the idea, though, that it also supplanted in our minds the idea that Chameleon might be involved and yeah. that the Master might be involved. And both of them are involved in the King's Demons. So that worked really well, too. Yeah, I mean, it almost became more of a MacGuffin than anything else, but um, maybe to the detriment of the story, because I kept, I was I was right there with Perry. Yeah, get him, it's him. It's got to be the master. No. Be. That, that, that let that William Shakespeare reveal be even bigger. I know. Because yeah, you're so you invested in, yeah, it's the master, of course it is. I actually backed it up. I just, you know, as William Shakespeare. What? <laughs> and I went, I went back and listened to that again. Like I did not just hear that. Yes, I did. Okay, let's find out where we're going with this. Perry's going to get her big moment and reveal that it's the master. Nope. <laughs> uh, kudos, big finish. Kudos, Nev Fountain. Good job. Good job. All right, what do we got coming up on the schedule? Well, coming up next week on the schedule uh, for Friday Night Who Spearhead from Space. 
So uh, a little third doctor action. I actually get to pop my uh, Blu-ray in. Your Blu-ray. I bought the Blu-ray version Ooh. of that, so I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Well, here is our opportunity. And then uh, the show next week will be uh, all eighth Doctor stuff because, of course, we've already reviewed uh, Spearhead uh, here in the proceedings. But uh, we'll do uh, uh, eighth Doctor Paul McGann in the Big Finish Eighth Doctor Audio Adventures Season Two, Episode Number Three: Brave New Town, and Number Four: Skull of Sobek. And we will cover the uh, Titan um, uh, Eighth Doctor miniseries, the five issues that uh, were out. And I don't know, maybe we'll I'll reread uh, Mitch's uh, feedback. Uh, next week, since right, she did talk about <laughs> she did talk about them. Yeah. So this is a refresher for everybody. We'll do that, uh, and then um, may have a revised bit of scheduling from that point on, which we'll talk about off mic. So I, I'll, I'll leave you with that. You get one week. <laughs> All right. Um, if you're already supporting us on Patreon, we certainly appreciate that. If not, why not? Uh, go ahead and support <laughs> us on Patreon because all of the. Uh, Money that you put into that goes straight back into this show 100%. Um, everybody that is a supporter uh, gets little special extras and gifts and surprises, and we continue to hope to continue to do those here very soon again. Uh, obviously, hold on to your raffle tickets because we'll be doing another prize drawing soon. And if you uh, aren't into supporting on Patreon and you uh, have a little something you want to buy for yourself, uh, whether it be through the Amazon store or buy as a gift for somebody else, uh, we do have some links on our website, travelingthevortex.com. In the right-hand side of the page, there are links to Amazon. If you go through there, a portion of those proceeds go to us. And, of course, if you'd like to support the show outwardly and you'd like to buy some uh, Traveling the Vortex merchandise, you can go to our Spreadshirt shop. Uh, there you'll find uh, T-shirts and book bags and mugs and shot glasses and lots of fun things there. Not all of, the, not all of that, but a portion of that also goes into uh, supporting the show as well. Anything else we need to discuss before we close this show out, guys? I don't think so. I don't think All so. Right. Well, if that's going to do it for this week, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.